0: Thank you. Welcome to Managing Marketing, a weekly podcast where we discuss the issues and opportunities facing marketing, media, and advertising with industry thought leaders and practitioners. Uh, my name is David Angel. Um, today, I'm sitting down with Jack Byrne, uh, MD and founder of Hatch Media, which I think over the last few years has established itself as a very well-respected independent media agency. Um, welcome, Jack, and thanks very much for joining me.
1: Thank you, Dave. Um, I'm chuffed to be here. Oh,
0: ah, well, that's, that's always a good start. That's always a good start. Um, let's start by discussing your own journey because, you know, I'd, I'd sneaked to look at your LinkedIn profile, yeah. you know, and, and with what from what I could see, so under two years' experience of working in a media agency directly, you left and, and created your own, which is pretty bold. Yeah. So that's a bold move. Um, a stupid. Oh, no, I don't know about that. You're still here, aren't you? Yeah. Um, what... what led you to create Hatched and and, and you know, what's the elevator
1: pitch? Yeah, sure. You? So um, I, well the two years experience was um, actually in a, a, an agency of which I was a co-founder of. Mm-hmm. So I've never actually worked in a media agency that I haven't owned. So I originally came from the media sales side of things and before that in the marketing space, but ultimately through my time and I worked at, at Nova and when Vega launched and, all, and that's, how I kind of got to meet the people in the industry and and the agencies and the ways of working and whatnot. Um, And that's where I saw the opportunity. And the opportunity was ultimately where I was working in these big agencies, a lot of the people that um, I would see on a daily basis, and a lot of them are actually here in the the business today. Um, Very time poor, really great people. I love the industry, love the people in it, and and that's something that uh, I always wanted to work in an industry that... You know, I love turning up to work every day. Um, And I also wanted to run my own business. That Mm. was kind of a a lifelong dream that I wanted to do that. So, you know, I couldn't set up a radio station. I don't have a spare $150 million to do that. You don't? So um, a media agency was the next viable option. And ultimately, um, it's finding the people and and identifying the what I saw, and I, predominantly I worked in the big media agencies, and what I saw was, you know, they had a lot of clients. that didn't necessarily have a whole lot of time to work on the clients' problems. I saw great people that were probably overworked, um, and you've you've been in that world, so you can you can attest to that probably. Um, and but moreover, the client wasn't at the centre of the universe. So it was, you know, media deals and a bit of skullduggery and whatnot. And ultimately, I think the one thing that was forgotten is it's a service-based business in a service-based industry. So having time to work on clients' problems, um, you know, the the premise of the name Hatched is all about, you know, fresh thinking and rather than a cookie-cutter approach going here's a schedule that was the same as last quarter or whatever it might be, um, that's kind of the concept um, of the name, and that's why we came about it. And, and we, you know, what we've kind of come to now is nine years later is, um, you know, it's all about the craft of media. So we say Hatch is where media is crafted, and that's kind of the essence of what I started out nine mm-hmm. years ago in doing, is actually showing that care, showing that level of, um, you know, approach to complex solutions. Or complex problems and providing solutions for clients, mm. um, and you know we're now a, a team. We've got over sixty staff, um, predominantly around Melbourne kitchen tables and whatnot. Um, you can attest. By yeah. The office today, we've got There's two a very people. nice but quite
0: <laughs> <interesting> <laughs> office out there. <laughs> yeah, concerned.
1: correct. But um, you know those those people across um, planning and performance, pro- programmatic. Um, you've got account management uh, and finance and whatnot. So. Ultimately, it's, you know, the premise of Hatched um, kind of started out where I was going to go, if all agencies have the same access to systems and data, and it's all the same systems and data and and Mm. there's a little bit of um, proprietary stuff around, but predominantly 80 90% of, you know, we've all got the same access to the same stuff. So predominantly it's the people that defines an agency. And that's probably what has been the key to us. Um, Really, our business is built on four principles. And the first one is, you know, being independent and and 100% independent. And, you know, I'm the only shareholder of Hatch. And and ultimately, I think independence is really important. I think there's often a, you know, indie versus global argument, but I I don't necessarily... um, uh, adhere to that I think independence and the benefit of independence is that you've got freedom to a think independently um, and act independently so you know that ultimately means that you can put the best interests of the clients first Mm -hmm. and foremost and that's kind of what we set out so where we are answerable to our clients and our team and that's what I love about the independence and that's the benefit of being independent so I, I think Um, the other one is we're obsessed with delivering outcomes and effective outcomes for our clients Um, as I mentioned that you know the craft of media is something that we stand for and it's you know really how we do that is applying experience so a lot of our Um, staff and, you know, we're quite top-heavy, that we have experienced staff that works closely with the clients Um, and that's really to speed the process up and and to sit at the adult's table, as we call it, and and actually solve problems in real time. Mm -hmm. Um, That expertise and the experience really helps really ramp that home. Um, Then collaboration, you know, being independent, we don't really care where we sit in the pecking order, we're not precious as to, you know, we need to be the lead agency or whatever it might be. So collaboration is really important with other agency partners of our clients. So we plug in and we play a really important role because media is obviously a very um, expensive line item yep. in their budgets. Always. Um, but we need to be collaborative to, and that's where, being, again, being independent allows us to do that. Um, we're not pushing the barrows or not cross-selling or whatever it might be. And then ultimately, you know, it's the that um, it's the customer centricity. It's going okay. We want to put um, our clients at the middle of the centre or the centre of the universe. We want to get that client a unfair share of attention, and, and I'll kind of talk to our attention. Um, planning our philosophy around the planning, but it's ultimately the output is we want an unfair share of attention for our clients and their media efforts. Yeah. Um, and we want clear commercial outcomes for our clients. So put a dollar in, what do you get back? And that's ultimately what, what we're here for it to do. Um, we, you know, we've got two more principles, one being, you know, we want to be the um, place where the very best and most experienced talent want to work, stay and grow. So, we put a lot of time and effort in one to one development plans. It's not cookie cutter. Um, um, and we prioritize our people above everything, which um, is, goes against us putting the client at the center of the universe because really we put our people at the center of our universe and that's where our attention is. But as a direct benefit, you know, a happy team is a happy client. So, and we set out to have 20 year clients. And ultimately, we can't do that if we have consistently churning over mm. um, staff. So we, you know, that happy team, happy clients is really important. And, and ultimately, we like to set the bar higher in the industry. We, we kind of do run our own race. The one benefit of, of not working in a media agency, I don't know how it is done. So I just kind of operate on how it should be done. So setting that bar higher know it means that we treat our clients money as if it's our own um we're direct we're pragmatic we're real and ultimately by doing that um if you if you know Eye and all that sort of stuff and the scoring that they do which is we use as great feedback we've got the number one nps score of all melbourne agencies and um the only positive nps of any agencies in melbourne so um, I don't know if that says more about us than the industry, um, but it's something that ultimately um, we walk the walk as well as talking the talk, and that's really important to us. Well,
0: that's a great summary, and, and I want to draw on a few threads there of, of what, you, what you've talked about in no particular order. You talked a lot about people. You talked about time poorness in media agencies generally, which is true. Yeah. You talked about um, clients being at the centre of your universe, and you talked about experience. Right. Um, to answer some of the comments you make, because I am a media agency veteran, yep. I, in my past career,
1: I'd say by the grey hairs, yeah, correct. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Just trying to hide them. Um, you know, my in my experience, being time poor in a media agency is very much there is there is a delicate balance, right? Media agency people are often time poor because they're under-resourced, and, yep. and you know, the, the, the client's not paying properly, or all, all of that kind of stuff, and all the media entity trying to cut corners, or whatever it might be. But also, a large reason for media agency people being time poor is often to do with just poor process, and, yep. and the client's asking them to do things that are just not efficient, or, yep. or, or that spin wheels. Um, how do you approach your client? You put them at the center. Experience will count for a lot, in terms of how yep. you handle them. Um, do you have any insights into you know the, the way in which you you communicate with clients that reduces that inefficiency and reduces that churn ultimately? Yeah, sure.
1: So a lot of that starts at the planning. So um, the interrogation, the uncovery of what is what are we trying to do? And I think, uh, and I, I we we're talking off air um, if we call it that, um, with better briefs. And we've got PP and Matt that work out of our office. And the reason being is that we really truly believe in what they're doing is is really just um, working uh, on understanding what the problem is from our client's perspective. So the empathy of their world is really important. And often, and the stats that um, certainly the Better Briefs Project talk about is that um, marketers lean on agencies to develop the strategy. You Know there's a big portion of them to do that now. That's not to say that it's they're lazy, but they're time poor as well. I, yeah. I think you know it has never been harder to be a marketer than it is right now. You've got you, you, you have to be an expert in so many fields being creativity, market mix modeling to you know return on investment to Martech to ad tech. You know, you, you the the world of marketing is so big and so broad and so diverse now that to understand that is really challenging. So A, it starts off the client end is being time poor. And if we can help them materialize or understand what is the challenge that they're facing and how to actually solve that, then ultimately that's going to make everyone's life a bit easier. So yeah. we like to kind of chunk up, if you will, and, and really work with the client in, in articulating what is the, the problem and how can communication strategy answer to that. So that's really the marketing piece. Yeah. And then you go to the planning, being the channel planning and all that sort of stuff. And, and um, sorry, that was Siri. <laughs> um, and then you go to... Um, You know the channel planning piece, and that's how we're, you know, from an execution, and that's where a media agency kind of, you know, we can help execute and get to that channel point. But really, we kind of do two roles, and that first role is actually understanding that marketing problem, Mm -hmm. and and then working out how to solve it through a variety of paid, earned, and owned Mm -hmm. um, uh, outputs. And um, obviously, from a Hatch perspective, we our specialty is in the paid bit, and that's what we're at the table for, but more and more we're, we're, you know, reaching up to that crow's nest to, to really look what's the what's ahead of us, mm. um, what are the challenges, how can we solve those challenges, what can we start doing today that, you know, will get us in ahead or on the edge in two years' time, that yeah. sort of stuff is, is more and more um, conversations that we're having with the clients that we ever have, which helps with resourcing and it all let us down to uh, ultimately being more efficient in, in the marketing efforts.
0: Yeah. I think, I mean, there's a, there's a, even taking a step back from from that level, there's a sort of, I think the role of agencies as advisors as opposed to executioners. Yes. Um, <laughs> execution is <are> terrible. <laughs> words, not <laughs> guillotine, execution, yeah. but you know what I mean? Yep. Um, it's never been more important because you're absolutely right. Marketers are so time poor. Marketers yep. have got so much else to do yep. um, other than look at agencies. And I think where experience comes in is where, the agency is actually able to be a bit assertive and a bit yeah. kind of look. We've been doing this a long time. Let us help you help us, and, yeah. and you know, let let us um, guide you in what you actually need from us to get the best result. Yeah. Um, how much do you find? Do you find that those
1: conversations need to take
0: place? Um,
1: they they need to take place. It's often a. It's hard to get in the cycle, right? So you've got to manufacture reasons and areas and create space to have those conversations. Yeah. And the first is the hardest because yeah. to make that space, to have that meaningful conversation and break that cycle of brief execution, brief execution, planning, you know, budgets, all of that sort of stuff, it, you, you know, you can blink and five years is gone, yeah. right, and, and nothing's changed from a relationship. So how do you take that step back? How do you actually climb to the crow's nest have a look at what are we actually trying to do here and and to what end? And, you know, how can we plan further than the next quarter or the next even 12 months? What what are we doing now for three years down the track? Um, Obviously, it's pretty tough to plan three years down the track with the advancements of technology and data and legislation and all of that sort of stuff, but it's all very relevant to have that conversation it's just finding the space to have that conversation is the most important thing.
0: But grey hairs, as you mentioned, yes. I have a few, so do you, <laughs> yeah, my Anyway, um, grey
1: hairs can help with that. Yeah. I mean,
0: I, you know, what, I'll be being perfectly frank, and this is with no disrespect to younger people who are generally more clever than I am. Yeah. to be honest, but but they, you know, a lot of a lot of our clients often talk about look, there's just not enough experience. That, we the, the, our big account, multi-million dollar account, is being run by. By people who just haven't had the life experience, if yeah. not if not the industry experience, to to really navigate us properly. Yeah. Um, and I think that's where I, it's not independent versus global. I sort of agree with that. I mean, yeah. you know, everyone's got their own advantages, but I think being able to think independently and being able to put experienced people yep. closer to the client, as opposed to being administrative
1: yep. managers, um,
0: I think that can really help. Yeah, I, I, I really I do.
1: Th- I think that's a bit of the secret sauce, and that's kind of what I saw. Um, from the sales side of things, is these guns who I grew up through the industry with, um, they progress and then they go back of the house, yeah. which makes no sense to me. Where that experience, you know, the convers what you can have a, in an hour conversation with the clients and that experience of, you know, all the stuff ups that you've done, all the things that have worked really well, all of that sort of stuff can be diluted and really conveyed in an hour conversation as opposed to someone who hasn't had that experience trying to work out and they're kind of generally at the same position as the marketer anyway. Mm-hmm. So um, it's that expertise that really expedites the problem or the solution to the problem rather. And that that the reason why we are predominantly top heavy and have those senior people is ultimately that speed Turns out to be effectiveness in terms of an efficiency through the process because you can just jump straight to um, what you need to jump to um, using that experience that we got.
0: Yeah. I mean, having as someone who has climbed that ladder a little bit in in big ages, I mean, you're actually right. It's you do get dragged more back of house, you do get dragged to PL, you do get dragged to reporting to to France or America or whatever. Um, And uh, it is a very traditional. Career is a very traditional way to to, uh, uh, to 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 go about it, and you do you lose some of the you lose some of the cut and thrust. doesn't, yeah. it, doesn't it? You become rusty with the clients. It? It's not let's not forget that they're they're why we're all here. Yeah, correct. Um, but yeah, look, all we could spend all day talking about classes <laughs> and, and, and how time poor there are. But, yeah. you know, we'll get back onto this yeah. discussion. I want to talk a bit about a bit more about your own journey. I mean, you you've been on. The journey as a business owner and you know as a head of a media agency since I think twenty thirteen. Correct me if that's yep. wrong. Um, turn nine next week. There you Valentine's go. Day. Um oh, there you go. Yeah. Very romantic. Talk talk to me about you, you must have had some sliding door moments during that time. I mean there must have been points at which you thought, Christ, I could go one way or the other here and this yeah. could either be triumphant or 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 disastrous. You know, what what stands out to you as the decisions you've taken or challenges you've overcome that have really sort of redrawn the hatched map
1: for you? Sure. So I think, look, I'd I'd break that down to say key decisions, challenges and then sliding doors. But if you look at the key decisions, is kind of what we've spoken about now is um, hiring ahead of the curve. So I've always um, hired staff before I've had the billings, revenue or clients to actually justify that. Um, hire if that makes sense so uh, I've always been a belief, uh, belief that you build it and they come and from a service-based business building it is getting the right people in, in the business so um, I've always hired ahead so it means that we've always got the resource you know higher resources um, we've also got time mm-hmm. to, to focus on the client's problems but also time to develop our own product and output and systems and all of that sort of stuff. So the key decision that I've had from the start is hire ahead of the curve and I think that's been the biggest advantage that we've been able to have and which is why um, being independent is a really strong because, you know, answering to shareholders and even if you've got two shareholders, right, as opposed to one shareholder which has says. You've got to justify your actions. Where you know I have to answer to myself and only to myself, mm-hmm. so I don't have to justify any of these decisions. It's and I don't have to get a return on my investment or look at all. It's we can go, we can we can take the the, the leap of faith, if you will, and that that's generally paid off in in droves because the growth is come from getting the right people in. And that's developed our reputation, and, and meant you know that we it snowballs into referrals from clients, referrals to media, whatever it might be. Um, but that's been a really key decision from early on that that we've had a direct benefit from, and, and we'll continue to do that. Mm. We do that today, and we'll always do that because that's that really is a competitive advantage from us, particularly for the holding the holding companies. But I think probably for most service providers in our space is making sure that we've got the resources, um, and it is a bit of a talent war out there at the moment, but, um, yeah, it's making sure that we hire ahead of the curve. Yeah, I
0: I, I often get asked by our clients, um, you know, the hard, what's the hardest thing about what media agencies have to do? Yeah. I mean, ten, nine times out of ten, my answer is something to do with the fact that you guys have to really think about the now, the next and the later all yeah. at the same time. In yeah. a, in a, I mean, all businesses have to do that to some extent, but you know, you have to be on top of what's next and you have to still be doing media buying of TV and you need to be, you know, fulfilling that sort of through the curve. And it's really hard to do that without hiring ahead of the curve. And yes, if you have shareholders, it's so hard to to get approval to do that. Um, So, yeah, I can see what you're saying entirely.
1: No, it's it's something we absolutely believe in. And um, at the moment, we just can't move fast enough because there's not, you know that it's the talent and yeah. all of that sort of stuff, which we are. You know, we are looking at other markets at the moment. It's a to put boots on the ground there, but also to access talent pools. And I think you'll find by mid-year we'll have um, a team in place in another market, and that's really just to access a whole new talent pool and yeah. and and continue to grow that because. Wait, wait.
0: Sorry, I mean I'm just interested. When you, I mean, there is a talent war, but where are you? Where are you finding the biggest gaps in the market at the moment?
1: Um, Well, you've got the technical skills of, say, performance, programmatic, that digital. So you know, strength in platforms, if you will. That's that's the most challenging space that we see at the moment. Yeah. Um, but we, we've got a pretty good reputation. So we're we generally, A, we retain our staff, which is super important. Um, and B, we've got time to talk through other staff and, and approach other staff and get that. Um, but, you know, there is the, the gap, um, it's just the it's numbers. It's a numbers game that's yeah. out there. And um, it's confusing to be an employee at the moment because, you know, you've got, you know, your current employer who is really keen to keep you and willing to throw stuff at you and you've got other people and other agencies that are probably willing to, you know, so there is a bit of a turf war and, yeah. and a bit of a meat market out there but you need to overlook and go, okay, well, what are the actual, what are the beliefs, how are they actually actioning, what, what, how do they actually operate, you know, what are the things that make this... um organisation different to others, mm. what are the values they live by and, and what's the purpose of turning up each day yeah. um, and making it meaningful because, you know, once the negotiation for a salary is done, it's kind of forgotten pretty quickly. Just it turns up in your bank every month. But you've got to front up every day. You've got to work with people. There's expectations and, and um, of the employer on, on you and your role. So how are you managing that and all? of this? So we kind of get to the more meaningful conversation as opposed to just his extra money. Yeah. Um. Because a we want twenty year staff as well as twenty year clients, and we need to make sure that the values align and, and we're all aligned that way. And if we can do and we do, you know, psychometric testing through the um so e-disc and whatnot. Um. And our people and culture director Virginia Skelly, does a lot of work in the in that scoping out period to make sure that a we're right for each other um, because it's a commitment it's a two-way commitment so that's something that we spend a lot of time in doing but it, it, it bodes well in the long time yeah, because sure. the churn's not there as well. So that is the look it's a challenge at the moment. Um, but I, I think it's it's a point in time but it's it's also you know there's a lot of in uh, talent leaving the industry um, and that's something that we need to either grow talents for, so from the entry level up um, and the retention you know we've got to make sure that they're we're tailoring each person's career path depending on the person as opposed to here's a org structure, and yeah. that's how you follow it. So yeah. we spend a lot of time in the day and in the work um, that helps navigate and, and kind of set people up for success in the future as opposed to just f- for today.
0: Well, um, I very rudely interrupted your, yeah. your, your journey, which <laughs> yes. probably I'd have failed at employment no. tests for you for no. sure. No. My psychometrics will be all over the place. Yeah. But, um, I mean, so yeah, look, that's great. We've covered... You know, the, the importance of, of the people and you you're obviously going to I've, I've not often heard about an agency going to that length when they employ someone yeah um, which is which is really interesting in itself but we let's get back to that question about the, yeah, sure. the sort of the the uh, either the sliding doors or the big decisions whatever you want to call it what, yep. what else really has,
1: has so shaped you yeah so one of the challenges I've probably had to overcome is is probably a personal one is that in terms of you know imposter syndrome right so as a bloke that's never worked in a media agency, owning a media agency, you know, coming from radio, so the cowboy from radio sales (laughs) and all of that sort of stuff, Um, it was a challenge personally and it's like um, for me that perception was never really reality. It was just self-talk, right? But ultimately surrounding myself with people um, and and that's the one thing that I did know from, from media sales is who are, the, who are the people in the industry that, A, gives a shit about what they do and the craft that they're in and the, the how they actually approach clients and how they interact with others? Um, that was one thing. That was a major advantage because I covered a breadth of, of the the market. I met a whole bunch of people and I kind of had an opinion on who that is and I've since spent the last best part of a decade trying to recruit them all in. Yeah. Um, and if you look at our exec team, it's probably one of the strongest teams in the Melbourne market, all 20-year agency orphans, I call them. Um, but that, that's the experience that we got. But, you know, there's a reason why we often don't talk about our new wins and, and you know, we're not very good at publicising ourselves. And that's predominantly because um, I would prefer to walk the walk as opposed to talk the talk. So um, we, we are a bit of a hidden secret but once you're kind of in and understanding who's in here and, and what clients we work with and um, what is the work that we're doing, then then you you quickly realise that, we, you know, we are uh, very credible and we do great work and, and we, we're standing on our own two feet. Um, but that is something that I've had to overcome mm, sure. um, uh, from an early days and, you know, nine years down the track I've still got you Know a bit of an imposter syndrome, but thankfully, I've got a whole bunch of people who are absolute guns around me, and I just hide behind them. So, I don't know,
0: I think that's I think you're downplaying yourself a bit there, but I look, I I think we all have imposter syndrome, and um, it's why it's one of the reasons I said that you like I meant it when I said you, I mean, it's a bold move, yeah, and it's kudos to you for for, for still being here. I mean, it's amazing, um, and you know, I'm sure you've learned a hell of a lot. Along the way, about yeah. how media works, yeah. And everything else. Thank God, so you go yeah. back
1: to that radio station with a few <laughs> few surprises, yeah. right? Yeah, correct. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean that that that's a challenge. And then sliding doors, you mentioned. Um, we I've had uh, multiple opportunities um, and multiple conversations with um, acquisitions and mergers yeah, for, yeah. from the, from um, from both independents and globals and all of that sort of stuff. Very early on, you know, we we're a couple of years old, sort of thing. Um, I actually got quite close with a global, so that was, you know, we got to the point there was a contract in front of us. It was, you know, big process, expensive process, time-consuming, distracting, all of that sort of stuff. Um, and that was for the acquisition and the merger of hatched into one of their offices and. Um, You know, I would have been CEO or co-CEO of of the... You know, it was a great opportunity uh, after a couple of years um, and ultimately the the decision was pretty clear at the end that why the hell was I doing this when, A, I've got so much that I want to achieve um, in my own business and everything that I wanted um, or needed, rather, to... Fill those um, promises to myself and aspirations as a business would be restricted by the fact that I would be going into a holding group company. I would have a boss in Sydney, who would have a boss in Singapore, who would have a boss in wherever. wherever. Yeah. I would give it away. You'll give it away to <laughs> yeah. the next country. Um, so that was the decision, but it was a big sliding door moment yeah. because you know, you've a you've got the money. And the prestige, and it's kind of you know, going back to that imposter syndrome, it's like, okay, well, I've made it. If I've built a business and sold it, mm-hmm. that's that's the rubber stamp going, okay, well, I'm not an imposter. But I, I've in the end, I realized that that validation is kind of bullshit anyway. Um, that uh, you know, and ultimately, it's like I need to be in control of the decision making to, to build the business that I need to build, and, and that, um, I'm very thankful. Now that for for walking away because um, we're a much better business now anyway yeah. we're a much bigger business and um, we're doing much better work and that's that's what's meaningful me, to me.
0: You, you must have agonised over it though. I mean, I guess from a personal point of view, a financial point of view, you're, you know, it would have been the line of least resistance, right? Yeah. To just to just take the money and, and do the earn out and, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah.
1: Well, for the best part of I'd say eighteen months, um, it was an eighteen-month process. Yeah. And I would, I would wake up in the morning and I would say, okay, I'm selling. And I would go to bed and I'd say, I'm not selling. Yeah. And I was torn every single day because, A, um, you know, a lot of the people that I had as staff have come from big agencies and the reason why they came here in the first place is because we are in control. <laughs> yes, yeah, correct. Well, let's be honest. Yeah, yeah. correct, because yeah. we are in control of our own destiny. Yeah. And I think... Um, I think that's really important. Having control of your own destiny is what makes an independent really special and probably important. Again, the agency, independent versus global, I don't, it, it means nothing. It's all about the people that are within the, the office yeah. with, the, with the badge at the front. Um, but being in control, having meaningful conversations and decisions that you are in control of, is really important, particularly if you've been in the industry for a long time. So, um, you know, we are in control of our own destiny and that's something that um, I think from a staff retention, staff attraction, all of that sort of stuff, people can have a say and can dictate the future uh, of, of the business mm-hmm. and that's really important. Um, but it was a significant sliding door moment and, and uh, I... When when I first made the decision to walk away from that, um, there was probably six months I'm going, Oh <laughs> <laughs> What did I have I, I could have been driving I, that Porsche <laughs> by now and on my yacht. <laughs> I, um but could've bought my could have bought my radio station, Yeah, now, correct. I, so. Yeah. But now now I'm I am i have never been sure and I've never been more thankful that I did make that decision. On you. Uh, on you. At the time.
0: Let's let's um, uh, talk a little bit about the the independent agency industry, for want of a better term. And we've talked throughout, and I, I do agree with this that it, you know boiling things down to global versus independent is a is a gross oversimplification. Yep. Uh, it really is. I mean, yep. there's, there's there's pros and there's cons, and there's there's plus and there's minus, and all that kind of stuff. Um, but in more recent times, we've seen a, a real gear change from independent agencies in Australia. When well, we've seen acquisitions, right? We've just been talking about yeah. or sliding door, but we've seen acquisitions. Um, we've seen development of, again, we've touched on this, proprietary assets where it's becoming more challenging because the, you know, the need for propriety, particularly in the data and tech space, is becoming is becoming greater. Um, we've seen proliferation of broader skill sets, growth in numbers, and, and to help drive all of the above, the, the creation of the IMAA. Um, uh, the Independent Media uh, Advertising Association, yep. agency association, sorry, I yep. can't remember what it's called. Um, but if I look at the membership of the IMAA, I'd say that Hatch represents a fairly noticeable absence, and yep. you, you know, tell me if I need to be updated on this, but yep. what's your view of the IMAA, and you know, why have you decided so far against
1: joining? Yes, um, so good question. We, we aren't a member. Um, of the IMAA, but I, I think they're doing a great job. Right. Um, we we continue to talk to them um, and what they're doing in shining a light on, you know, they've got 100 members now or over 100 members and um, and there's probably, I don't even know how many agencies are there in this country, but let's say there's hundreds yeah. of, of agencies out there and a lot, you know, a lot of these agencies, that they might be two or four or six or ten people and they're doing great job for their clients and, and you know, that's the one thing about independence. They give a shit about their clients yeah. and their clients their lifeblood and they really treat it like that. And um, often it's hard for media vendors to, to cover the ground and, and provide them with the insights and updates and because there's just not enough people to be able to service that amount of agencies. Yeah. So the, the IMAA gives them that voice and gives that spotlight to actually go, okay, we'll vendors, connect vendors and agencies so we can all upskill on what the vendors are doing so then they can upskill the clients and they're doing a great job. Um, we're, we're not a member of like MFA either. So Predominantly, um, the reasoning why is it all comes back to how is it going to benefit our staff and how is it going to benefit our clients? So um, because the nature of how we tailor each program for each of our clients, or staff rather, um, everyone's got diverse needs, wants, training, whatever it might be, and a lot of that is... um, it, you know, we don't want to put all the eggs in one basket. So we haven't found a compelling enough reason to join the IMAA or, mm. or the MFA or any of the other A's yeah. out yeah. there, <laughs> um, mainly because we like to tailor what, what we do. But um, the IMAA, we, we, we back them in completely um, and we'll continue right. to talk to them. Um, and and yeah, that that's pretty much the no, extent of it. Simon Buchanan has
0: done a great job. Yeah. No about it. He's, yeah. he's. I mean, and, and his team, obviously. Yeah. Um, um. I can I can see the growth. Um. And I can see both sides of that argument. Yeah. I Already can. Um. So it'd be interesting to see what happens with them. Yeah. In the future. Um. And you know, a big part of that is is helping their, you know, helping the people within that group of of, of members, which is which is great. We've talked a lot about people, right? Yeah. Already, you know, within Hatched. And it's a kind of uh, sideways segue into into the next thing I wanted to ask you about, which is which is diversity, ethics, and, and inclusivity, right? Yep. And DEI. I, I noticed the recent article published by. Now I'm going to get the name wrong here. But Ray. Uh,
1: yeah, by Ray. Yeah. There, yeah, that's that's, that's easier right to that. do it. Yeah.
0: By Ray. Uh, Ray Chail, uh, the leader yep. of what you've called your Belongings and Connection team, that hatched. And DEI is obviously an area of focus for you as a business. But I think it's really difficult to get things like this right, you know, to make them genuine and not forced or tick box in nature. And, and this whole area is difficult to discuss without platitudes, right? Yeah. I, I know that. But I'm interested in how people have responded to the Belongings and Connections Initiative at Hatch, you know, what's working for them and is there anything that they suggested that's not really meaningful? At yeah. Above?
1: So it is It is a really interesting space mm. and it's a really important space as well. Um, and probably it's worth noting and it harks back to what we were talking about before is, you know, about being control of your own destiny, that ultimately the Belongings and Connection team um, was born from Ray's development program, her own specialised or um, tailored performance program. She showed an, entrant, um, showed an interest, um, identified her strength and motivators and the passion for it, um, and she started it. So that's the key. You know, she wanted it. We backed her in. We knew we, we know it's a thing, yeah. Um, but we want it to be meaningful in everything that we do, and it needs to start with champions and raise the, our champion. and The team's grown from one person, which was Ray to kick it off, and now it's got 10 people. Um, and that will is all happening in 12 months, and mm. now they're building it. Um, as opposed to you know, us kind of it's a top down approach where you know it's not meaningful just. You know, following the legal framework—that's that's easy. Um, that's you know, it's not you know, it's it's all laid out and to be compliant in that space, right? Mm-hmm. So you've got the legal frameworks, we've got all that, but it's not meaningful. So um, really, it, we want to empower everyone to to because you know, the I stands for inclusion. Yeah. So that's something that we're building inclusive of everyone in the business. So a big part of what we're doing, particularly for the first 12 months, is understanding and listening, um, and that's through surveys and um, events where, you know, we actually really try and work what is meaningful to our staff and what is What is inclusion? What are we missing? It's it's kind of we don't know what we're missing until we kind of know Mm. what we're missing. We know what we've got, but it's that's the inclusiveness is actually knowing what you don't have, and that's what we've spent our our most of the last twelve months doing. Um, And that's through you know, yeah, as I said, mainly virtual events at this stage. Well, yeah, Um, but you know, and surveys and a whole bunch of other ways that we can listen. But that's what we've done first. But then the output of that is, you know, then we opt out a policy in terms of, you know, that's, that's the actual hatched policy that is that takes all that in consideration. Right. So we're probably a couple of months away from actually designing that and, and framing that. And that, that kind of sets as a fluid um, document that we live and breathe by. Um, and there's other things like, you know, I mentioned before, we, we're moving offices. So yeah. uh, we're going up the road and we're moving to a big new office space. Um, but we need to be inclusive to other people's needs and wants and, and all of that sort of stuff. And we want to design that into how we actually work on a day-to-day. So, you know, some people are introverts, some people are extroverts, some people, you know come from various backgrounds that have various needs and whatnot so yeah. we need to make sure that all of that is considered to be truly inclusive rather than here's a policy, here's a ticking box exercise, um, we need to know and that that's the process we're on at the moment.
0: Yeah, fantastic. Well look, I think it's something that uh, I think everyone's identified that this this our industry has not been the best always in this space so it's great to see more and more agencies like yourselves taking these kind of initiatives and obviously... Going beyond the talk and actually making it mean something. Yes. Yeah. this it council pretty That's much everything, part. right? Yeah. Um, let's talk about the future. Yep. Um, not just for Hatch, but for the industry in general. You know, we're operating in watershed times, really. Um, working practices, cultural norms across the board being reshaped, um, in part by the pandemic, but for other reasons too. And we just sort of touched on them. Um, what are you looking at longer term? You know, where do you think the challenges and opportunities are for for media agencies and, and advertising and marketing more broadly?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, well, the future—it's very hard to know the future because <laughs> tomorrow uh, is hard. Yeah. Um, but I th- look—it prevents it. It provides both opportunities and challenges. Challenges, I think, you know, keeping up with the speed of technology, data, all the things that we kind of mentioned before, Martech, all the things that have made media and marketing harder than it is ever been. Um, trying to keep up with that as an agency, as an expert is really difficult. And that harks back to the talent as well, going, okay, what is the talent that is needed to, to deliver that cutting edge thought leadership that clients need to drive their business and deliver growth for mm-hmm. their organisation? So that's, that's the challenge, right? The opportunity is, you know, um, we can get closer than ever before to our client's world. So we'll talk about executionists, which is a great term. (laughs) Executionists, I think (laughs) it's like literally chopping people's heads off. Yes, anyway. Um, I think that's probably, look, I think the media um, agency has probably been um, a history of just kind of getting out the door, right? So executing a plan, but, you know, just spending money, basically. I've got a budget. How do you spend that budget? Which isn't the right way to go about it. We, we kind of, you need to get to the bottom of the, you know, the, the problem and work out how much budget you need to actually solve that problem rather than, yeah, so it's a, it's getting closer. The is that w- with empathy and understanding, if you can break that cycle of response to execution and kind of take that step back and understanding the client's world, um, that's the opportunity to really understand their world and really get to the heart of the problem. Mm. Um, so I think never has been a greater opportunity because um, by doing that makes the marketer's life easier and means that all of what we do as a media agency is just a lot smarter about how we go about it. So I think that's the opportunity. Um, we also, um, you know, I spoke about people and, and having your own our own control. We put a lot in our, the hands of our future um, being. You know, we've got a shadow board and that shadow board is made up of um, seven young stars. So these guys have shown initiative, shown grunt, shown smarts, all, mm-hmm. all of the things that make them what we call future legends. So these future legends um, run a board. It is a board structure. Um, it is chaired and all of that sort of stuff. Um, but these future legends are in control of building policy so yeah. you know our flex work policy um, the the future of work and the ways of working you know our office how it works and um you know onboarding staff and and how we actually carry ourselves and and some of the causes and purposes that we get behind it's actually built by the shadow book so rather than um, these 20-year industry orphans, as I referred to, coming up with the ideas that these are the policies and everything like mm-hmm. that, um, and remember these guys that are that 20-year-plus in uh, industry orphans, they would have started in 2002, but it's 2022, and there's a generational gap. So mm-hmm. we need to empower the future leaders and the f- future legends of Hatch to actually build that and, and I think that gives us an advantage by the fact that we're actually setting up for tomorrow today and the policies and how we're built and how we act and what we talk about and all those things have the future at mind because the the next generation's already in control and, and that's mm-hmm. been really powerful um, for us and, and um, you know, handing the keys to them to drive the future, I feel a lot more comfortable. Um, in doing that, in shaping what the future of the organisation looks like, then it would be if the execs were to do it. When mm. really, you know, it's we we've got a lot of experience to look back on, but it's hard to look forward without that view. So again, the, one of the benefits of me not being in a media agency before I've owned one is that I don't have all of that. Yeah. But now a decade later, I do and I kind of need to have a fresh start and that's where the shadow board comes in go no really this is what the future is and, and they they've got the keys and so far they're driving it like a stolen car so it's great <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, look, that's a great answer um, i've enjoyed this conversation genuinely yeah, like because it's... i think sometimes uh, generally speaking when we when we do these podcasts we're talking about pieces of a jigsaw puzzle right yeah. sometimes it feels scattered other times like this, it feels like there's so many interlocking pieces that have just sort of threaded through this conversation. Yeah, and it, you, I can see what you're doing. I can see how you're piecing stuff together, and it's um, it's really it's it's um, it's really good to, to understand that yeah, uh, right. from your perspective. Um, one final cheeky question yep. for me, I guess, which is a little bit of a tradition on this on this podcast. <laughs> what could I ask you? So I think I mean you're obviously a young go-getter still. Uh, how well, many let's go years, with that anyway. How many years? Until you get your one hundred and fifty million dollars to buy that radio station, and when when you do, can I borrow your yacht? Yeah. That's probably the question I'd have to ask. Yeah. You. Uh,
1: um, I I'm breaking that down rather than uh, the figures. It's when would I sell? Yeah, is that is that is that what you're getting at? Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. when would you
0: when would you sell for your, um, your,
1: your... look I. I don't know, I've got no aspiration to sell. I've got, I've got no, I don't. it doesn't come part of the planet. Yeah. I always believe if you run a great business, um, you'll have suitors all your life and that's proven to be the point. So there's always people that are kind of knocking at the doors. But I see, um, A, you know, I've got two young kids and mm. this role and this job, you know, I'm not doing 80, 100 hours a week. I get to do bath time yeah. um, when I want to. I don't necessarily always want to, but I've got the option <laughs> to. Um, I've got two young kids as well, yeah, so, yeah. But uh, you know, that's that's the most important thing to me, and having control of my destiny is probably more important than you know any monetary value and yachts and Porsches and, money, and, Porsches and, and yeah. radio stations and whatnot. <laughs> so if it can, if this vessel can give me what I want out of life. And help me do other opportunities, and and, you know I'm looking at investing um, and acquisition at the moment, and that that's whether it's through other vessels, other than Hatch, that that, you know Hatch allows me to do that. So um, yeah, at the moment it's it's play on, run a great business, be part of a great culture, um, and don't stuff it up in the meantime. That's kind of the mantra.
0: That's a good place to leave. It's it's been really good talking to you.
1: Thanks again. No, I appreciate it, Dave. Cheers.